Good morning. That was a test, I think, for me. So, good morning. You can say good morning. Thank you. So while you were shaking, I wasn't talking to anybody, so now I get a chance to say hi to you all. Uh, it's a privilege to be here this morning. My, uh, my, my wife Kay is here, and uh, some of our friends, uh, as well as uh, all our friends here at uh, New Hope. And uh, happy that uh, Joe's let me share uh, with you this morning. Uh, he's given me a text for us to, to ponder, for me to ponder. And uh, before we get to it, though, I'd just like to say um, uh, New Hope Community and you who believe, this morning, do you understand that you are under Christ's blessing? You are under Christ's blessing. And as I think about this thought, not too long ago I realized for the first time after 40 years of ministry that uh, the image that Jesus left for us as he left this earth, when he left his followers, he left in a very specific way. He gave them a picture. He showed them something. Do you know what he showed them? He showed them the scars in his hands. He lifted his hands and He's blessed them. And Scripture says, as he was blessing them, he was taken up into the heavens. The very last image that the disciples could see were the hands of Christ. The hands that, hands of blessing that were over them. And they were under the care and the blessing of Christ. To me, I find it very encouraging as I think about my own life and the lives of the people who believe. By the way, you can look that up in Luke 24 at the ending there. And as we think about being blessed, you know what today is? Uh, Today I have dubbed, I called it International Day of Blessing or International Sneeze Day. I call it that because in, on February 16th, which is today, 1,420 years ago, 600 AD, uh, Pope Gregory the Great declared that the proper response to a sneeze, the proper response is to say, God bless you. And that's what we've been doing for 600, or however long it is, 1,420 years. God bless you. And you who are under the blessing of Christ, what is your response to be when someone sneezes? Or to bless them? And particularly, what about between, between the sneezes? What is your response to be to the world around you? God bless you. God has placed a call on our lives, and that call is to be a blessing to people. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. That's the call that is on your life. 
now that the blessing is over your head and in your hearts, you have a call to bless others. Now I want to test your biblical knowledge. I know some of you are pretty smart in the Bible. I discovered that as we were discussing when we were bowling a few years ago and I went with you, got to get to know a little bit about some of you and in other ways too. Uh, so there's only one quote, uh, one quote from Jesus' life found outside of the four Gospels. Outside of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we only know of one quote that we have that Jesus said. Do you know what it is? That's in one of the Gospels. It's in a few of the Gospels. Here it is. Can you read it? Let's read it together. It is more blessed to give than to receive. It's the only quote we have from Jesus outside of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And as I thought about this quote, apparently giving is very important for Jesus' followers. And my interpretation of this verse is this. Receiving is good. Giving is better. Can you repeat that after me? Receiving is good. Try it. Receiving is good. Giving is better. Now, as I thought about that, receiving is good, giving is better, I typed it into the Google search. And that particular phrase, you know how many hits I got? How many hits? Zero. Zero hits. You would have thought by now that we would have come up with a few hits. Somebody would have come up with that by now, but apparently not. And maybe it's, I was thinking to myself, maybe it's because we haven't really learned that receiving is good, but giving is better. Somehow I know the way my own heart works, it's not always that easy to let things go. Now, if it is true, and I believe it is, that giving is better than receiving, the natural question is, to whom are we to be giving? Who are to be the recipients, the ones that we're to bless? Well, I believe there are at least three groups, and these are not in any particular order. First group would be your family. In 1 Timothy 5.8, it says, if anyone does not provide for his own family, that he or she is worse than an unbeliever. You're worse than someone who doesn't even believe if you don't give and provide for your family. A second group of people that we're called to give to are the needy. The needy. And as you know, in James 1.27, it defines what is pure religion. 
here's pure religion. Uh, and it was good to hear what some of the uh, organizations are that you are connected to and ministering to in the community and beyond. Uh, pure religion before God is this, says James. Pure religion is to care for the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. In other words, live a moral life. That means asking forgiveness and apologizing and getting back in order when you go astray and do some things you shouldn't have. And the other part is to to look after people who are afflicted because they're widows or orphans, people that don't really have that family support structure. And then there's a third group. The third group that that blessing that rests upon you, that you're to remember, and that's the church right here. New Hope Community Church, or whatever church you're connected to. And if you aren't, you need to get connected to a local church somewhere. Galatians 6, 9 and following. Let us good, do good to all people, especially those who belong to the household of faith. And so we might ask ourselves, why why would we support the church? Why is that important? Well, when we first founded the church, uh, the local church, which I was the organizing pastor back in 1979, uh, we we began uh, a church from scratch, and then after about a year, or so, we uh, formed a little better, and then in 1980, we bought a church building, small church building, 1907, it was dated, and it was run down, it needed a roof, it needed electric, better electric, uh, it was really a mess, it needed painting, uh, and it was really in bad shape, but the thing that put a smile on my face was when we walked into the uh, sanctuary, there next to the pulpit, uh, actually inside, it was this huge Bible. It's an old, gigantic Bible. And that lights up my heart when I think about it. Because as bad a shape as the church itself was, the building, that the Bible was still there, intact, it had not been lost. And, and on many occasions, you can go into church years back, and the, the Bibles would actually be chained to the pulpit. And in fact, in, in important libraries, you could see a whole library of shelves, all these chains hanging down, because the books, uh, books were important, that if you went to visit a library and you wanted to read an important book, you wanted to make sure it was there. And so it is on Sunday morning. When you come to church, you know, and you don't have someone speaking to you from the Bible, you don't have anything. Not really. Nothing that's going to last. And so the church is a very important organization. Uh, It's also an organism, but it's an organization. And the responsibility that the church has is to guard the truth. To guard the truth so that on Sunday when you come, you will hear God's opinion. 
what God has to say about living and dying and everything in between. Now, that's not an easy task to figure out sometimes, and that's why we have pastors and teachers. That's why we have elders in the church, uh, because the Lord has set it up that way, because they are guardians of the truth. And it's very important, their job. And so it says, like for example, in 1 Timothy, uh, it tells us, uh, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those who work, whose work is preaching and teaching. And the laborer deserves his wages. Wages. What the scripture is telling us is that the uh, Pastor Joe, for example, he's worthy of honor because God has placed him in a very important position. And he's given him a very honorable and important task, and that is to, to study and to think through what the Bible says. And then so on Sunday morning when you come, uh, he's going to give you a word of truth that God has for you to build you up. And we can't underestimate the value of hearing God's point of view through the pastor's mind and application to your lives. Now, nobody gets it perfect. But you know, the truths in the Bible that really matter are fairly easy to find. And the struggle is to to get it close to the as center as possible and to connect it to how you live every day. That's a real challenge on how to do that. And uh, a healthy church, I think, as I've discovered over about forty years of ministry, are you a healthy church? Are you a healthy individual? I think there are two things that need to happen from my experience. One is you need to be receiving. You need to be receiving. And that's why you come back when you're a recipient. You're receiving. Maybe your child's being nurtured in the, some program. Maybe you have a relationship in this community, this church, that you're receiving from them. And particularly, maybe you're receiving in a special way on Sunday morning. Something the church needs to be contributing to you, and you're receiving. But the other half is that you need to be giving, and many of you are. To give. If one of those elements is missing, not good. Not healthy for you, not healthy for the congregation. Receivers and givers. That's how life works. That's how the Lord has set it up. We're called to be givers. So whoever brings blessing, there's the giving, will be enriched. The one who waters will himself be watered. And the promise there, notice when it says the person would be enriched if you're, as you give, really it means you'll be made fat. So if you want to fatten up a little bit, especially in the wintertime, give, give, keep giving. Now as I think about that, I know sometimes we may give and it's not always obvious how it's going to come back to you. In other words, 
getting something back on your investment, on your giving, is not uh, self-obvious all the time. You know the scripture in Ecclesiastes 11, 1, Cast your bread upon the waters, and after many days you will find it again. You know that one, right? When, I th- when you think about that, uh, casting your bread on the waters, you know, I usually think like, that. okay, that bread's going to get soggy. Just in a few minutes, it's starting to get soggy. It's going to dissolve. Next thing you know, you get nothing. And at the very best, maybe, maybe some ducks will eat it up. And I'm, I'm seeing nothing's coming back here. I'm not getting anything back. And it may be that we need to have some faith. We trust God. Even when we can't see it coming back, we need to trust God that it's going to find its way in a very circuitous route, perhaps. And eventually, you will find that God is good at keeping His promises. It's not like when you go out, you know, and you, uh, you buy a bag of potato chips. You give some money, and you get these chips, and you open it up, you know, it's like, it's half air. You're, not, you're barely getting your money's worth here, you know. They're giving you something back, but it's a bunch of air. Not so with God. One gives, this, is, this verse right before we, what we've been talking about is very helpful in Proverbs 11.24 because it says, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? What the scripture says, some people giving freely and they're growing richer. Their lives are being enriched. And as I say, it doesn't always come back in the same way or shape or form. But somehow they're getting better because giving is better. But some who think that receiving is better and they hold on to what they have, well, somehow it seems like even what they have dwindles and becomes less. Suffering. You know my mathematical interpretation of this verse? Here it is. When you subtract, God adds. Can you say that? When you subtract, God adds. While you're subtracting, God is adding. That's how it works in God's eyes. Now, when you think about Mother Nature, which God made, that term doesn't bother me, Mother Nature, it's just nature. And we use the female, even in the Bible, uh, the female language to describe her. If you look, if you study it. So, now think about you have a seed, an apple seed, okay? Imagine in your hand you have an apple seed, one seed. And you take it and you give it to the ground, right? Now your hand's empty. The ground has your gift. And what's going to happen there? Well, you find that an apple seed will grow a tree. And next thing you know, we have apples, Now you can go, and now you have an apple, or maybe a bush of apples, and you have more seeds. And you can do it again. That's the principle about giving. When you give, God has a way of bringing it back to you, and even in a greater measure. You know, even our Lord doubled down on it when He he says, give and it will be given to you. Right? Right? Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, 
running over, it will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. But I think that often we don't really believe that our giving is going to come back to us. And that's why I find it helpful when I think about, it's been said, I guess it's true, but I think it's been said that there's only one time in the Bible where we're told to test God. You know what that one is, right? You've probably heard it, right? And that's test Him with your giving. Test Him with your giving and see if He doesn't find a way to make your life situation Maybe just in your heart. Something about life, something about you is going to be better. There's going to be improvement. You know, then TV evangelists want, they often, not all of them, often want you to give. And you know what they appeal to? They appeal to your greed. They appeal to your fallen nature. They want you to give so that you'll think, oh, I can, if I just give here, then I'll have more, more. Not good. We need to think, when I give, it's not just to get. It's not give to get. It's give to get so that I'll have to give again. You give to get to give again. And it becomes like a, almost like a contest between you and God. God, show me that if I give something, that you're going to put me in a better position so that I can do even more. That somehow I'll have better, bet my ideas will grow Maybe my finances might grow. Maybe my health will grow. We don't know. I don't want to say the Bible teaches prosperity gospel because the only time you're going to be fixed in every area is when we get there. When there's a new heavens and a new earth. Then everything will be right. But I think giving is more about giving to get to give. It's a flow. And not so much just a tit for tat, so that we can accumulate more for ourselves. Not good thinking. And you don't have to be rich to be generous. You know what Jesus said about the woman who put in two small copper coins. I don't know if I'm following the uh, verses here. I'm just, I'm going to skip that one. By the way, you can look this up on your own. Second Corinthians 9, 7, that's your homework. And next time I come back to speak, I'm going to ask you how you do it. That's a great passage to meditate on. Giving to get to give. The apple. Basically interpreted by that apple illustration I shared for you. Uh Uh-oh. Getting ahead of myself here. So, when you think about generosity, you might define it this way. Giving is not about how much, not so much about how much you've given but it's about how much you have held back that you might have given. That's why Jesus said that woman who put in two small copper coins that weren't only of a small value, she gave more than everybody else because she gave out of her poverty. She didn't have anything left. That's a better measure of generosity. And I love the English word, English word generosity. It mean, you know what it means? or where it comes from, it comes from Latin. And uh, the word means of, uh, of noble birth. Noble birth. Generosity shows that you're of noble birth. And that's what you are, if you know Christ, right? If you believe in His perfect life, 
his substitute death, you're a forgiven person. And now you're a child of the king. You're a child of the king. You have a noble birth. And you can show your nobility, can't you? How do you do it? When they see you do a noble act to help the poor, to help someone in your family, it's sometimes a sacrifice to help your family. It's not easy spending time watching the kids or helping grandma or whatever it is. And in the church, regular support of the church, it's a noble act. People don't, you don't have to advertise that you, what you've given, uh, but you understand how important it is to come and uh, for the truth to be here on Sunday and for the ministry to go on in a positive way. You know, 15 years ago, when both of my kidneys had failed, uh, and I was in end-stage renal failure, uh, Danny Wade, a friend of mine, saved my life. When I think of his generosity, I think of an incredible act of nobility on his part. And what, what, holds, us, what holds us back from uh, being more generous, being more noble? Uh, it, may be, it may be, and I wrote a few th- things for me, what I know holds me back, uh, the need is so big, will my part even make a difference? Uh, why can't someone else give? Can't somebody else do this? Uh, what happens if God doesn't make up for what I've given away? <laughs> then it's lost, right? Uh, why does it have to be me? Uh, this is not something I'm used to doing. That seems a bit extra- extravagant, doesn't it? Will anyone even notice that I gave? Well, years ago, one Sunday morning, when my brother-in-law was visiting the church, he brought his uh, four four or five-year-old, my nephew, his son came. And uh, the collection basket was tracking around like it did today. And as the collection basket circulated, the young child was, uh, he had been given a dollar in his hand because his father wanted to teach him the importance of giving. By the way, that's very important. If you have children, grandchildren, whatever, let them give even when they're little. If they get some money for birthday, or they get some money on allowance or something, or a little chore, even if they're only giving a penny, let them see you. That when you teach somebody something, there's three things that need to happen. One, they need to see you do it, you show them. Two, they need to do it with you. And three, let them do it on their own. That's how they learn. That's a principle for passing on information. Very important information to learn how to give. So a little kid, his father's trying to teach him to give. And so he gives him a dollar. And as the, as the basket's coming close to this four-year-old, uh, the child gets a thought. He leans over and he says, Dad, Dad, what will happen if I don't put the dollar in the basket? Will God flood the earth? 
His father paused and wisely said, God will know. God will know. The kid put it in. Well, let me give you just, as I draw a close here, listen carefully, give you a, one principle that's helped me. Uh, practice proportionate giving. Try, practice proportionate giving. Try to give proportionally to what God gives you. Uh, when God gives you less, give less and don't feel guilty about it. Give less if you need to. When God gives you more, Give more, even if it's more than you've given in the past. Give more. Give as God gives. And finally, I suggest whatever your current practice or pattern is, and a lot of us are like, our pattern's all over the place. <laughs> Some of you have really got a good pattern down. But whatever pattern it is, stretch yourself. If you're ever going to get to generosity, you've got to stretch yourself Stretch yourself. Be a little more generous towards your family, toward the needy, and toward the church. And trust God. See what He will do. And certainly, certainly, don't wait until you hear somebody sneeze before you decide to bring them a blessing. Receiving is good, and we've received much. We're under the scarred hands of Christ, His blessing you're living under. Now we're called to remember that receiving is good, but giving is better. And it's better because of two things. One, it shows the generosity of God. It shows the heart of God. Two, and it shows that you are grateful for God's generosity to you in Jesus Christ our Lord. I'd like us to close with this prayer. Just say it together. Lord, you have given me so much. Give me one thing more, a grateful heart. Amen. Lord, indeed, you've given us so much. You've been so generous to us. Anything that we receive is a gift from you. Teach us to have a heart like you and to be generous to the world around us in which we live. Generous to this church, our church, generous to our family, generous to those we see who are in need. For the sake of Christ and his kingdom we pray. Amen.